and welcome to Here's Your Diversity, a show where we chat with and highlight BIMPOC creators in the community and get to know more about them and their work. I'm Dusty. I use he, they pronouns. I am one of your hosts. Today, I'm joined by my lovely co-producer and co-host, Aki. Hi, I'm Aki. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> and today, we're joined by a very wonderful guest. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Legal Kimchi. I go with he, they, or excuse me, he, him pronouns. Um, I'm a YouTuber. I have a channel, youtube.com slash Legal Kimchi, where I do video essays, deep dives into RPG-related topics, sometimes the social issues surrounding it, sometimes the uh, mechanics and sort of a philosophical deep dive. So if you like overthinking about your TTRPGs, why not give it a check out? Uh, I also stream twice a week on Twitch, where I have guests uh, from the TTRPG community come on, uh, usually diverse guests um, from throughout the spectrum of individuals uh, in the community. And uh, we talk about various issues that uh, piques their fancy and just dive into the nuance of it. Uh, I like picking apart those type of things. So if you want that type of content as well, you can check me out at twitch.tv slash legal kimchi. Although... You can just call me kimchi. That's fine. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm very, very excited to have you on here. Um, uh, I actually, I, I think probably like a lot of people as more recent, I started hearing about your videos from the biocentralism and D and D, which was uh, a very popular video that I saw on Twitter and sparked a lot of conversations like everywhere. I feel. Same. Well, I... That's where I know you from too. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's kind of the point. Uh, it was one of those things where I I went online and I was thinking of what's the next topic? What's the next thing I want to tackle? And I kept pulling up things on bioessentialism, but not to disparage other creators or anything like that. They weren't well thought out arguments. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm an act I'm, I'm an attorney um, in the real world, the business world. I don't know what to, <laughs> um, my, my day job is being an attorney. So like bad arguments are something that gets to me. Right. Um, so in seeing that I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle this, uh, with evidentiary supports. I'm going to tackle this with actual argumentation and talk about the little details as opposed to just relying on one of the bog standards. Uh, and I, it was basically two things. It was either bioessentialism uh, doesn't matter because it's a fantasy world or bioessentialism does matter because it transports the real world uh, racial tropes and things like that into um, the game and thus it's bad. And while you can agree or disagree with either of those things, none of the videos, none of the content really talked about why any of that was true. So I wanted to get into that. And that was the inspiration for doing that video. And so that actually, uh, I actually that, that that actually brings me right into one of my questions I wanted to ask you is like, so for this, because I, I watched that video, it is very well laid out, and then you obviously put a lot of work and research into this and time. Uh, but like, what's your process for making these kind of videos? Like, when you get these ideas, what what's like one of the first things that you do when you go sit down? It's like, okay, I want to do this. How do I get there? <laughs> well, I'm going to, um, I, I start by coming up with an idea. I have this 
basically save document where I think of concepts that I want to talk about. Okay. Like metagaming or bioessentialism or um, the alignment system or whatever. Right. And I pick one of those things and I start researching. The researching usually involves uh, looking up, you know, academic studies and people don't realize, but academic studies on gaming, tabletop gaming specifically have been going on for the last 50 years. Um, this is not a new thing. Uh, there's a lot of recent research on it, um, but the field is out there. I've met some of the academics who have written papers on this sort of thing because of my journey of creating this channel. Some of them I now would consider friends. Um, and I've purchased books on it. I've purchased multiple books on theory when it comes to tabletop RPGs, the history behind tabletop RPGs and things of that nature. And I have a background in psychology. Um, I, was, I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was going through college. And then I realized you had to go to med school. So I switched and went to law school instead. Because yeah, um, <laughs> um, I was like, I don't do science or math well. <laughs> but uh, I can talk and read and boom, law school. Um, so there's an intense amount of research that goes into it. Um, and depending upon how thorough I want to be and how much a specific topic has behind it, uh, will dictate how long that portion takes. Then I get into the writing portion and the writing portion is just putting my thoughts down. And the more research and the more in-depth that a topic can be, the longer that writing process is going to be. Right. It used to be that I would write like 2,000 words, maybe 3,000. Mm -hmm. But more recently, I've been hitting five and 6,000 words uh, in, oh. in my essays. And it's just because like over time, getting better at doing this, realizing that I want to pull on tangents and strings to get a complete picture. Because when you're looking at something with nuance, the more that you understand at the surrounding area, the more you know what questions to ask and the more you know uh, how things intersect, okay? Um, because if you don't pull on tangents sometimes, you only get the surface level understanding. And the whole point is I don't wanna just have a surface level understanding. So after writing the whole thing, I edit that script. Sometimes it's throwing out the entire thing and doing it all over again. Uh, this most recent video that I'm working on, uh, I've thrown out the script three times, like just started mm -hmm. from scratch after writing thousand, few thousand word essays. Um, you have to be, in my opinion, ready to just chunk it if it's not good enough. And so I did a few times finally got into a form where I'm ready to uh, film it and then I film it. Here's the funny part. Filming usually takes a day. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the least time consuming part of the entire process. Um, so mm -hmm. I have filmed videos in literally half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, um, that's where all that uh, editing comes in. Right? <clears throat> Yeah, everything else is editing, and editing's the longest part of the process by itself. So you get all of that footage, you plug it into the computer, and then you stare at this screen for hours and hours and listen to your own voice until it sounds funny. Um, and uh, 
that, you know, putting in the graphics, making sure where all the cuts are, color grading the footage, um, all that sort of stuff. And then after doing that, and that work usually takes place between the hours of 10 and 1 a.m., 10, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., because I have two mm-hmm. kids. And mm-hmm. as much as I love doing this, I'm not taking time away from my children to make these YouTube videos. Um, so keep in mind, it's like pitch dark and everybody in the house is asleep when I'm working on this stuff. (laughs) And, uh, so I go through the editing and then I finish and I get all the music in there and uh, all the special effects or editing cues or text or whatever, right? All of it's in there. I render the video and I upload it to YouTube and then I go sit in a hole for like 30 minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, and I talked to this, uh, I talked to other YouTubers about this and uh, there is a sp- very common, very specific feeling of sort of dread melancholy that happens after you finish a project. And I didn't realize it was as universal as it was until I started talking to other YouTubers about it. But you would think that when you complete a video, you have this feeling of triumph that you've done it. Behold me works and tremble. (laughs) But no, you're just like, I'm done. Uh Huh? Yeah. And yeah, like it's a weird feeling. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I get the same thing, but for like, like, I, I've done video editing before, but a lot of my stuff I do recently, I mean, podcasts and, you know, uh, a good thing to exam, uh, exemplify is for uh, Aki and I were in this podcast called On The Mommy Carry, and I started editing the la- last half of that season, and I finished the finale, and I was editing that, and in-game finale gave me whiplash. Editing also gave me whiplash, even going through there. But I went through, edited, cut it, um, put all the sound layers, make sure it was fine. And I finished, rendered it, and I texted the group chat, it's done, exciting, yay. And then I laid in bed for like an hour. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like there's this scene in uh, Bo Burnham's Inside where he's pacing around and saying like, uh, I'm getting close to finishing this thing, so... I'm never going to finish. I'm just going to keep working on it. I'm tinkering it because I don't want to face the world where this is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to say it's that extreme or anything like that, but um, that feeling is real. Like it. So I get to that point, I finish it, I upload the video, and then I kind of zone out and uh, try to avoid uh, social media for a little bit. Uh, I have a tendency to release a video on Fridays and I will generally take the weekend and not think of anything just to recover. Um, you know, play with my kids, reorient myself, spend some time with my partner. Um, Mm -hmm. she's very supportive of all of this, so it's very helpful, but, um, but it's weird because it's hard to explain. It's like, you seem in a weird mood right now. Well, I just finished a project. Uh, Why, why aren't you happy about that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very yeah. Gosh, you, you say that, I'm realizing no, that that's definitely been me with a lot of the work I've done. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Uh, 
well, the closest, and this is this is sort of my own little uh, little way to cope with with things. Is uh, I have a lot of games that I don't finish, uh, be it in like you know, um, TTRPGs related stuff or straight up video games. Though to be fair, I can finish a video game a lot easier than I can finish a whole like campaign because a video game gives me a trophy if I finish and my completionist <laughs> asked, I want that trophy more than I, than I want, uh, don't want the experience uh, to end. Uh, whereas when it comes to campaigns, I've only ever finished like two D and D campaigns and uh, they both ended horribly. So it's like, you know, not, not too many hard feelings or anything like that. But when I think about my longer projects, uh, like 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 goblets and gays, or with with Animam and stuff, I get very I get bro, I get mournful. I feel like a widow. <laughs> We're black all day. I um when when Animam finished its first season, and because we're kind of on a hiatus for that one, I have random states of like, God damn, do I miss this game? And I'll wear like a, I'll wear I'll wear something. I, I dress up for when I need to mourn. Apparently, that's what I've learned. So it's not even mourning, okay? Like it's I'm gonna get back to it. It's not we'll even over. There. Yeah, we'll it's just there. taking a while. Um, I don't know if I can direct this conversation in a specific way, but the way you presented that made me think of something. And if there's like content warnings, because uh, what I'm about to talk about is a little heavy. Um, but, um, so content warning, cancer and death, mm -hmm. throw that out there. Um, the greatest campaign that I ever participated in was when my uncle was diagnosed with throat cancer. And I came to the realization that I didn't really know who my uncle was. Like he seemed like a nice guy, but I didn't spend a lot of time with him. Okay. Um, and we all live in different States and such. Life gets in the way. And so I had the idea, hey, like my, my father and his brothers want to spend time together. What time they have, right? Let's get a game going. We've been playing D&D since I was kids and they were, you know, starting off when D&D started off, right? Because um, my, my dad and his brothers are of that age where they were like the perfect age when D&D came out late seventies, right? Mm -hmm. Where, and, and super nerdy. So they've been playing since before I was born. Okay. And as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm old. Um, <laughs> so you have these, you know, players well-seasoned. Uh, and I was like, let's get a game going. Technology is where it is. We can play online, you know? And so we did, and we kept playing and it was a wild campaign that ran world shattering stuff. Everything that I had learned through all of my years of playing RPGs, I, I put it, poured it all into this game uh, and they were giving it right back. Phenomenal players, great role playing. Um, and it was the first campaign that I actually brought to a conclusion where it ended triumphant victory at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Twists, turns, uh, betrayals, surprises, um, things that made us like chat for two, three hours after the game ended, stuff like that. And the thing about throat cancer is that it has an 85% uh, 
mortality rate within the first five years. Um, and my uncle lasted about two. We we had a little bit of uh, respite hope because he he got he he got cleared cancer free and then it came back with a vengeance. And we played we played every week. We played when he was in the hospital, playing off of a cell phone. Um, uh, we played when he had throat surgery and it made him sound like his voice was three octaves too high. And he's like, okay, so I'm going to get my fighter and move him to try to get into a flanking position <laughs> on the other side of the orc so that mm -hmm. I can attack him. And we made fun of him mercilessly um, when that happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was funny because he's on speakerphone in the hospital bed and the nurse comes in. He's like, hey, I'm just coming in to check on your status. Uh, I want to make sure that you're doing all right if you need any medication. And I'm like narrating this dungeon room, right? And <laughs> you can I can hear her saying like, what What are you doing? Like, are you, are you somebody reading you a story? It's like, and we hear that and almost in unison, my father, my other uncle and I yell out, we're playing D&D. &D. He's a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like, we just kept doing it, kept doing it. Um, but uh, unfortunately, you know, it came back and uh, it, it, he, he passed away um, Valentine's weekend. And the last text I got from him ever was scheduling that weekend's game that we never got to play. Um, it's like, hey, everybody's still up for Sunday, right? Because um, we had just started a new campaign. And because we had just finished the old one. And so we were like mm -hmm. three sessions into the new campaign. Um, so in a very real sense, for that, I literally do mourn that campaign. Is the best one I ever played in. I don't know if it's ever going to be topped. Not necessarily just because of the mechanics of the events of what happened in that particular game, but the circumstances around it. I knew my uncle as a friend by that point. Uh, and it is a weird experience as a dungeon master to have one of your players pass away. Um, and I, it's weird to talk of it in that term and not say, Hey, my uncle passed away. One of my players passed away because I don't know. It's just uncle is a term that you get because of happenstance of birth, playing the game together, being friends. That's a choice. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, I find that choice to be more meaningful than an arbitrary designation based on happenstance and blood relation. Um, so it, it's one of those things where it, there is a tinge of sadness to it, but I cannot think of my uncle without thinking of the phenomenal game that we were able to put together um, collaboratively uh, in that instance. So... Yeah, no, that's a. Sorry, I'm just gonna take a moment because that was very. I want to. It's... I don't know. That that's very meaningful. I guess is the best word for it. Well, I mean, it's it's. This game can be a little bit more than a game, and I know that's kind of silly. But any sort of hobby that you have, that you share with people, yeah, can be more than just a hobby. You know. I mean, it, it's how I've met some of my best friends at this time and my partners as well. 
Aki, I'm including you and my best friends, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why we're starting all of this. Um, I don't know the best way to transition, but we're going to. <laughs> Segways. Aki, segues. Uh, Aki, do you have a question? Hmm. I feel <laughs> like our first question technically got answered, um, like like from top down. Uh, on our list. Mm -hmm. So I'll just go with the next one. What got you into TTRPGs specifically? Learning how to read. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry though. <laughs> <laughs> because now I'm picture I immediately pictured um, you know, Sesame Street, big bird, but with a sword holding up a picture book. Like now read, child. Like that's that's <laughs> exactly what I got. <laughs> like it's it's amazing how early I learned words like denizen and succubi. Um, it, 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 it's a, it's only half a joke. Um, as I mentioned previously, my, my father was a player back in the day, right? Late seventies, early eighties. Um, so he started playing like empire of the pedal throne and old school D and D stuff, um, that most of the newer players nowadays wouldn't even know about. Right. Um, and so he'd been playing because it's apparently really, really popular in the army. Um, yeah, which yeah. interesting, but uh, you get bored, <laughs> you know, you got to do something. Um, so he picked it up while he was in the service and he started running a game for my older brothers. OK, and they're friends and it's just classic hack and slash sword and sorcery min max characters very basic what middle schoolers and early high school kids would play right although nowadays people are getting more complex so back in my day it was still <laughs> incredibly simplistic and we fought goblins and we liked it um so i i remember looking at the table right our, our kitchen table where they would play and it was literally like the high school football team because my brother, my eldest brother, is like a physical specimen when it comes to athletics. Um, he's still like a cross, what is it, CrossFit trainer, like to this mm -hmm. day <laughs> in his spare time. Like he's just ridiculous. I hate him a little bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> so like we had half of the football team coming over uh, Saturday night to play D&D. &D. And my dad was like, look, if you're here playing this game, I know where you are. You're not getting in trouble. You're not doing wild things. You know, you're sitting around eating chips and pizza, playing the silly game and having a good time. And so one of my earliest memories is watching this game being played. And I was like, I want to learn this. I need to learn this reading thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is all in books, but it seems super cool. And the pictures in this monster manual are awesome. Um, and so that's how I started. And because I couldn't get access to the books all the time because we had one set and they would use it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. My buddies and I created this, like we made a map on a piece of paper and we put drew little monsters, stick figures in it. And um, I'm giving away my age here. Doom had just come out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing at me. Uh, <laughs> I'm just definitely with you. 
And um, there was this game that TSR had released called Dragon Dice that flopped. It was supposed to be like Magic the Gathering, but with dice. Yeah, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did is it had these like little dice that had different symbols on them instead of numbers, like shield and sword and magic fireball or whatever. Skull. Mm-hmm. And we, my friends and I developed a game where we were basically creating a party and we would have these dice and we would go through the map full of monsters and we called it Destiny of Doom because uh, it had the sort of D and D esque name. Mm-hmm. And we, we drew the Doom to match the computer game Doom, how that font works with the spikiness mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and so I started based on that. And then eventually my friends got old enough. My brothers went to college um, that we started a group that my dad was the DM for. And so I've, I've been playing since, you know, single digit age. You know, um, basically when I learned how to read, I started playing D&D. That's, that, that's very similar actually to one of my, um, one of my friends and roommates who's also very similar. He's been playing since he was like four and started with advanced D&D. Mind you, he's my age. So it's like his older brothers and his brother's friends, mm-hmm. like were all playing before that. So um, and, but oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What's funny to me is like there's this discourse when you're talking about D and D where the old grognards are a bunch of, if I may, you know, old white guys sitting in a basement, right, <laughs> trying to trying to gatekeep the hobby. Well, we were there. My 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 father is not an old white man, <laughs> you know, um, and he was playing back in the day. And my first table that I ever saw was my brother's game, and we had, you know black kids and white kids and Asian kids and Hispanic kids. And, you know, all of these, like it was a very diverse group. So like I have, I have known nothing but diverse tables my whole life. And where I, it's not like me being the token Bimpok person at the table. It's mm-hmm. like everybody was, and it was, it was like, we had a token white guy at the table. Like it was, so when people talk about it, it's like, uh, you know, it's hard to, to have a diverse table and you have to do it intentionally. I fumbled into that my whole life. I've never had anything but a diverse table and I don't put a lot of effort into that. <laughs> That's just how it is, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always get a little confused when people comment on that sort of thing. I was like, I, like you have to almost try to not have a diverse table in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just my experience, but like I I don't try to have a diverse table. I just have a diverse table. <laughs> I I definitely think now with playing online, it's definitely a lot easier to. Um because for well, at least for me, like my first game with a group of people who I still, you know, they're all my friends, but I was definitely the only, you know, I was the only Mexican person there. Everyone else was white and you know. Um but I started playing with more and more people than I online. And then it's like, oh I'm playing with a group of like, there's only one white person and it's very different for me. And I was like, okay, well, let's start this where we have a whole podcast and a whole bunch of games where it's only a diverse table. And just like, yeah, no, you really have to try to not have a diverse table at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely think it's a, like, I think there's a huge difference between playing online and playing 
uh, in person. I never play in person unless I know everyone uh, who goes, mostly because my first few games in, in D&D were in person and they were just bad. They were just <laughs> gross. So it's it's like, yeah, no, you definitely have to try to not have a, di a diverse um, table because I've seen that happen before. I, I've been in it mm -hmm. like um, my and this 80 percent. No, 90 percent of me is fueled by spite. So sure. um, <laughs> <laughs> in particular, the very first um uh, you know, like when you can go to certain shops, like game shops, and it's like, oh, every every Wednesday we we meet and we have we play D and D, and it's like, mm -hmm, you know, whoever mm -hmm. comes in can play. I uh, I went with one of my friends because she didn't want to be the only girl there, so it was just us two. However, uh, by default, I was the only Asian person there. Uh, I was the only person of color there, and my God, when I tell you, I got into a twenty minute fight over having my character's uh like surname be like. Wang. <laughs> it was oh, no. yeah, it was difficult because I didn't get it. It was for me the first surnames that come to head are, are always gonna be Asian adjacent mm -hmm. because I'm Asian, so it's normal for me. But so when I'm naming a character on the fly, it's like okay, well the shit, I'll I'll default to Chinese because my surname is Chinese. Mm -hmm. Uh and I got into a 20 minute fight about basically Tolkien would not allow this. And I'm like, he's dead. He's not here. <laughs> like, <laughs> God. So I yeah, won. no, you, you definitely have to try uh, to yeah. not have a table. And I firmly believe that. Yeah. And, and those folks were trying. Um, and you know, it's like if, if Tolkien wants to make an objection to my character surname, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Exactly. Um, what, what's weird about that is like, okay, so let's be clear about a few things. Okay. Uh, I am a cishet male and there's privilege that comes with that. So my ability to just walk into a store and say, uh, we're doing a game and tell people to shut up is, is one thing. Right. And that's not, um, necessarily a luxury that everybody has. Now, one of the things that is interesting to me is I, I don't do that. I don't do what you just did, you know, like walking into the store and trying to pick up an adventure league game or random folks, right? What I did do once is I posted online because I, I, I just recently moved. Uh, I say recently because the pandemic screws up all time. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved right before that all happened. And so I posted because I was like, I'm new city. I'm going to get my D&D. &D. You know, I need to get a game going. So I just posted online. Hey, I'm in Austin, Texas. Who wants this game? And uh, a bunch of people saw that and showed up at the game store. Random, random assortment, right? And I show up and it's a diverse group. Okay. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what any of these people looked like uh, until I got there. And like the only two people who were um, of the same quote unquote category were literally related. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like, okay, well you get a pass. Um, but 
you know, part of that is just because I guess people see a, a screen name like Legal Kimchi and they're like, well, this Kimchi, maybe, maybe it's an Asian dude. Um, but, you know, I, 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 again, didn't try, just showed mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and had a diverse group, you know. Um, and you're right, it's getting to a point where you can just do that. But in physical spaces, I can see where that would be an issue because if I walk into my local game store, even now, it does appear to be leaning more onto the cishet white male. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, it's rough because a lot of them don't have a problem with actively making sure that they don't have diverse groups. Um, now they'll couch it in alternate language. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're just uh, playing with friends, people yeah. that they know. Oh, oh, um, I've, I've heard two things more often. One of them lesser, which is, um, what is it? Uh, same group comfort or group preference, mm-hmm. um, which is just a really nice way to say racist. Uh, yeah. And... The other one is realism. Realism. How many evils? Oh God, realism. <laughs> I have I have such an issue with this because I. Oh my God. So prior, quite literally prior to when I started uh, podcasting at all, I played in one group for about a year, and we were relatively diverse. We're all queer, but. Uh, like you know, it was, it was mostly it's mostly white people, but it was fine. Like we were cool, except except our DM, except our DM had a very very nice. The best way to put it is he really liked Asian people and he really liked Asian culture. And by mm. Asian culture, mm. I mean just your default Japanese. And <laughs> but like you know, but but we'll like change up the names. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll change up. <laughs> the names so this guy's surname is Park. whoa but like it's still it was everything was basically set in imperial japan and i was like mm-hmm. i have a very big issue with that mm-hmm. and uh, he was like well it's realism and i want to enroute my homebrew world in as much realist realism as possible so like no you you can't play like a non-binary character you're going to be referred to like if you're a noble you're referred to your title based on the birth gender and birth gender was just the sound of my fucking voice. And I was like, this is really gross. And I really didn't like it. And this is also a universe where one of the gods is a wolf furry dragon Phoenix with two dicks because he showed us the art for that. And so I'm like, where, (laughs) where is the realism? What? <laughs> yes. yes, you heard me correctly. It's it's a lot to come out of my mouth at once. I really don't like it. But you I, know, really, I, I, I feel you there. I feel you there because I've mm-hmm. had the question: What's the Korean version of a samurai? And uh, I, I just look back. It's like none. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's- that's such a wild question. Like, and, and people don't get why that's a wild question. They, they, they ask, it's just like, oh, well, you know, it's like a knight or something. I was like, one, no. <laughs> and two, like, it's a whole different thing. There's so much cultural 
Um, baggage sounds like a bad word, but you know what I'm trying to say here? There's, yeah, there's a lot of, just like yeah. cultural significance. Cultural significance um, and nuance when it comes to something when you're talking about like a samurai as opposed to a soldier, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And there, there is no equivalent. And I've seen people hem and haw and try to create an equivalency, specifically with the Huarang. But even then, like that's wildly off base, in my opinion. Um, and it, it's 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 one of those things where it's like you really got to stop saying that because, you know, we we. And I can't speak for anybody else, okay? But at, speaking from a person uh, of Korean background, like force feeding Japanese, like Imperial Japan specifically, uh into something like that and then forcing a Korean person to adapt to that is colonialism because for a lot of people, like a lot of Koreans, when you say colonialism, they don't think of European settlers. They think of Japanese invaders. Okay. Um, It's, it's not a one size fits all. It's one of those things where it's like, it's almost, um, you know, where, (laughs) <laughs> I had this concept where I was thinking of creating a podcast um, for BIMPOC individuals talking about uh, like white liberals. And I was going to call <laughs> it, wait, wait, nobody's saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, you get those folks who are like, you know, they're trying to be understanding and they're trying to be allies and they're like, Hey, um, you know, we, we're not doing that European colonialism. Right. And I was like, well, I mean, I get it. And I appreciate that. But other people were colonialists as well. Like other people were imperialists who, uh, you know, stole land and conquered territory and exploited people. That wasn't uniquely European. Y'all folks aren't that important. Uh, (laughs) Like there's a whole world out there uh, of people doing terrible things to people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's one of those things where they don't even know the history behind it because like how did you learn the history of your own culture it wasn't from school mm-hmm. the korean history that i've learned has been my own effort um japanese history that i've learned the chinese history that i've learned um you know and it's it's the little things that that set me off sometimes somebody's like hey what's a good chinese restaurant in town I don't know. <laughs> Why would I know? I don't know what authentic Chinese food tastes like. I know what my mom's Korean food tastes like. And I will find you six different Korean restaurants we need to go to right now. Okay. But why are you asking me my opinion of Chinese restaurants? I have no idea. God, <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a whole mood. It doesn't help when um, when you're mixed. And I'm not... I'm not um, I am a heavily Asian mixed, but like when I say this, it's more like if you look on a map, it we're like in a straight line, a straightish line. I'm just tea. I'm just the embodiment of tea. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but like when, when you get asked those kinds of questions, it's like, well, if it's about like colonialism, I half of me got fucked by the Japanese and the other half of me got fucked by by the British. So like I don't know how to help you <laughs> with, well, with that. <laughs> I mean, being mixed as well, I have a circumstance, and I mentioned this prior to recording, where part of my ancestry colonized another part of my ancestry. (laughs) 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 
So it's like, hey, I'm sorry for me. <laughs> Doesn't it feel weird? Like right now, my I'm 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 Indian Chinese. Right now, my right now half of me is at a miniature war with half of me. <laughs> and the worst part is I'm also Nepalese, so I'm also caught in the middle. <laughs> I don't know how to how to feel about it. When I hear news about it, my parents we just turn it off because this is just a it's a whole other version of civil war conflict. <laughs> you want to you want to talk about civil war? This this is a funny way. This is this is one of my life experiences that makes me happy and sad at the same time. In 1994, the United States of America hosted the World Cup, and I live in Texas. Always have for, for most of my life. I've lived in Texas, and in Dallas, Texas, they hosted a game between Spain and Korea <laughs> and my parents didn't talk to each other for a week. Because <laughs> oh my. <laughs> like, my mom went to the game and my dad didn't. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's being in a mixed household is really funny. Like people don't get how weird it is. Even other um, like BIPOC people don't get the peculiarities of the mm portion of that right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it is a it is a uniquely heartbreaking experience to have family members racist against you mm -hmm. and i don't know many people who aren't mixed that have that have experienced that you know um sometimes in the overt you know, aggressive way. A lot of times in the playfully ignorant way, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's, it's a weird experience. Okay. Um, and Aki, you can probably talk to this as well. And I mentioned this sometimes it's like, aside from when I'm sitting in a room with my siblings, I've never been in a room with people like me. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's that, or it's uh, cousins, right? Oh my goodness. He's got a lot of cousins, <laughs> and and even then, it's like I'm that I'm that branch of Chinese where we all somehow have different surnames, but we're all <laughs> <laughs> related by blood. Like, um, for example, I got Liu's, like Simu Liu, not that not that person, but like that's that exact spelling, exact pronunciation. We got Liu's in my family. I cannot for the life of me tell you how that happened. <laughs> I don't get it. But but we're blood related and we are basically the same uh, mixes except for certain circumstances where it's like Indian Chinese meets Indian Chinese. Or um, my other cousin, Filipino, got in there somehow. And, <laughs> and I say that with like <laughs> in the best way possible somehow. So it's like, <laughs> Yeah, no, for real, me and my sister, we're kind of the only ones that feel like that until we met some other um, people in the area. We live in we lived in an area where it was a lot of Indian Chinese or Malaysian Chinese, and we can, like, feel the same, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. it, it, like, like it, it's, it, it felt correct. But in terms of exact mixes, no, I 
cannot think of anyone else besides me and my sister that have this this mix this line mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's that's a thing like there is no like quote unquote safe space for a lot of mixed folks they you know going to a space where you're like hey it's the chinese student association that's nice someone's going to say something mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know and that that's another thing that i was talking to uh about prior to recording was uh utilization of fractional identity and blood quantums okay um i don't i don't like using um fractions or blood quantums to identify my ethnic background. I I will simply state to people, I am Korean. I am Puerto Rican. I am Spanish. Um, they're like, yeah, but what part? All of it. Like I, my leg, what do you want me to say? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, because blood quantums of that nature have only ever historically been used to discriminate against people either from a white majority using the one drop rule to say, no, you're not. Or on the other end of the spectrum from minority groups to say, you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like it goes both ways and mixed people are caught in the center of that. So I, I try to not do that. Um, because you'll get the little things like, well, you're only half. So, and it's always used to invalidate your opinion. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm not going to go around and tell people that I'm an expert in Korean culture or I'm an expert in Puerto Rican culture. I'm not, I know many Koreans who were born and raised in Korea who are not experts in Korean culture. Okay. Um, so I'm not saying that I go around telling people that I'm an authoritative figure when it comes to every single aspect of my ethnic background but I am a member of those groups and I, and I refuse to allow people to try to marginalize my participation or my, my existence as a member of those groups. And my children are mixed as well, because of course they are like, (laughs) I didn't find this, this dreamy mixed Korean, Spanish, Puerto Rican, uh, that we fell in love. Yes. No, that didn't happen. Um, so they have even more uh, cultures and ethnicities to bring out. And one of the things that I did was uh, there's a Korean tradition that on the first birthday, you dress up in your hanbok, you know, and you present items in front of the child and they're supposed to pick out, you know, what, what their profession is going to be, you know. So I put like a gavel. We do for, that too. We do that too. Yeah. So you put out like a gavel and a soccer ball and a calculator and all this other stuff, right? And so I have pictures of my kids in these humbugs and look, if I'm being objective here, do they look Korean quote unquote? No, (laughs) (laughs) but if anyone catches that or, 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 or tries to comment on that, prepare yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, because that, that, you, you will see the rage. Um, I don't mess around with that sort of thing. And I don't want anybody to take away my children's heritage. I don't want anybody to take away my heritage. So like part of what I'm trying to do with my presence in this TTRPG space is to stand up and scream what 
the mixed experience is like and some of the issues that we have to face um, there because, you know, we are so, we as in mixed people are so used to sliding in to groups that we are part of and just wrapping ourselves in that particular identity, you know, sliding into the Asian TTRPG space and wrapping myself in that identity or sliding into the Latin A, Latin X TTRPG space and wrapping myself up with that. And I don't have a problem with that, but it erases the mixed identity. And it's difficult because mixed people don't generally have anything in common with other mixed people. Like Aki, you're mixed and I'm mixed, but we're not mixed to the same things. But there are commonalities in being mixed. There are commonalities in being mixed that we've all experienced and can share. And I, I want to create a space where we can talk about those things. You know, so I was very excited when you guys, uh, you folks asked me to uh, be here with you um, because, you know, that that is a goal that I like promoting. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, the thing for uh, Aki, I, and Alyssa, the other person that I initially pitched most season stories to in this, we're all mixed. We've all oh, been yeah. there, but we, we all wanted to create the space where you know it's all diverse but you don't have to worry about not being like exactly said not being enough of this not being enough of that you are mm -hmm. i'm not the man you know i'm i'm not yes i'm white but i don't that's not my identity <laughs> I, i'm hispanic i'm not the man that that's where i'm here i'm i'm here to work on stories create things with people in this community that are that are mixed that are you know just essentially not white mm -hmm. <laughs> like not white and knows what diversity is and knows that there are so many people out here creating stuff that like diversity is not hard it's something that you know should be there that's why the show the show the title of the show here's that diversity is a little snide um but that's 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 our branding. I mean, even well seasoned stories, you know, mm -hmm. you, you got all kinds of spices up in there to create like a beautiful story soup. That was a and look, sentence. I, 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 <laughs> I have nothing against sriracha. Um, I just grew up on gochujang, so it's a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gochujang. Um, like to so me, sriracha, sriracha just tastes a little funny to me. Okay, if you like it, that's your thing. That's fine. I just there's this other red paste that I've been eating for the last thirty six years, and I'm good with it. Okay, <laughs> sriracha tastes weird to me, and it's right? for me. It's made for me. But right? like, I you want to? I pr much prefer masala. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's like a whole other spice and technically what i just said is enough to wage war on myself but you know what it's already <laughs> happening so oh my goodness you like, see you know you see it's 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 weird see my, my puerto rican side loves pork and uh so like korean pork dishes are sort of my jam uh <laughs> it's just mm, mm. oh my goodness um I have I have rum in my liquor cabinet. I have soju in my liquor cabinet. Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. they can coexist peacefully. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna transition just a little bit, just because this is a wonderful conversation. But I do want to get to. There's one thing I actually really wanted to ask you. Um, is I'm putting this is all in quotes, uh, because I feel it's a weird quantification. But like, what has been one of your 
favorite and least favorite videos that you have made? Um, oof. This is going to sound flippant, and I apologize, but I'm going to explain. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite video is always my last video. Wow. And my least favorite video is my early stuff. Okay. Like very specifically, you can look at my video catalog and you will notice a shift and it coincides with suits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the first, what, 10 videos that I made, um, were just like videos with the exception of the Dragonlance lawsuit video, which I'm pretty mm -hmm. proud of because there was a lot of garbage being thrown around online from people who have no idea how lawsuits work. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, Oh, this Dragonlance lawsuit. And I saw this one video on YouTube where the guy's like, literally, well, my dad was a lawyer. So I wanted to talk <laughs> about, and I was like, you no, you shut up. <laughs> you sit down and you stop talking. You have no idea what you're talking about. And the entire thesis and point of the video, he was absolutely like a hundred percent wrong through almost every detail of it. And this is a, pretty big D and D YouTuber and I was watching it and I was like, everything's wrong. Like everything you just said is wrong. So I got really fed up with that. So I wrote the Dragonlance lawsuit videos. Like, look, I've been playing D and D my entire life and I'm a trial attorney. So this is what actually is happening here. Um, but outside of that video, uh, for the first bunch of videos, it's, it's me like doing things that other people have talked about, right? Reviewing mm -hmm. Tasha's cauldron, dungeon mastering basics, you know, how to, what are the player types and all that sort of stuff. And I don't think they were bad in the way that they were made. It's just, we've seen that video, right? Yeah. yeah that that yeah. video has been made. And I started having this issue. And if you followed me on Twitter way back when you would have seen this happen where I was like, okay, I got it. I got to switch this up. I'm not having as much fun talking about just D and D uh, advice videos. There, there are 20 different YouTube channels that do that. There's nothing that makes me special aside from the fact that I'm mixed. I don't want that to be the hook necessarily. I want you to be there because it's good stuff. So around that time, people were up in arms about the wheelchair accessible dungeon written by Jen Kretschmer. Uh, the Coptic. Was it? It's in the Canopy Mysteries. I apologize. I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, but there was this big uproar about realism and whether or not a, a, a wheelchair can get through a dungeon. And again, I saw a whole bunch of really bad takes and, you know, unresearched, improperly argued videos on it back and forth. So I was like, okay, I love history. I research. Let's do this. And so I wrote a video explaining um that this is absolutely real and even if it's not what's your problem um <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i decided to wear a suit because i was making an argument and for me i wanted to bring out the sort of persona that i would take to with take with me to court you know like how do i behave when i'm in front of a judge and so i was like okay well part of that's the suit i'm going to put a suit on <laughs> <laughs> and that's the turn with my channel. Everything since then I am proud of, really proud of. Um, but my favorite 
is usually the last one because I constantly push myself to do more and to be better than my last outing. Okay. I want it to be more informative, more entertaining, reach more eyes, um, and make people think. And so that's why I say my favorite's my last one, because that's how I, I process it. That's how I think about it. And when this next one comes out, it'll probably be my favorite. <laughs> okay, but I love that, though. Dressing up is my favorite part of anything. And it does help quite a bit with, with presence, doesn't it? I don't know. You, you feel, I feel like you feel confident when you... You feel confident in what you're saying or how you present yourself when you dress up for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't and need to be a it. suit. That doesn't need to be yeah. a suit. Some people like... Um, some people feel confident when they're wearing a kilt. Some people wear, feel confident when they're wearing a dress. Some people feel confident when they're presenting themselves in their proper gender, as opposed to the one assigned to them at birth. Um, you know, it, it's, it's the same concept of being yourself and presenting yourself um, in a true form. It just so happens that for me, that involves a suit. <laughs> I love it, though. It's so good. <laughs> Ooh, let's see. Let's transition to another question. Mm -hmm. Technically, this one makes the most sense to to uh, to go into. Have the reactions to your uh, videos affected your approach in making them? Ooh. Um. Absolutely, they've affected my approach. Um, in a number of, uh, of ways. One is that, um, when, when I first decided to do long form video essays, as opposed to advice videos, I got a lot of people telling me not to do it. Um, the small audience that I had garnered at that point were like, look, I come here for the advice stuff. You got some really good ideas. I'm not here for the political stuff. I'm not here for the social stuff. I don't even think any of that stuff that I make is political. I just, the fact that like existing for some people is a political act that, I mean, that's not my fault. Like, <laughs> I mean, that that's other people's fault for making it a political thing. Um, but you know, that pushback was something that kind of, Oh no, then this is definitely something I need to do because I am also <laughs> fueled by spite. Um, yeah. <laughs> Despite the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's when you watch Star Wars and you hear uh, Vader, the Emperor, saying, no, let your hate flow through you. No, good advice. I'm just saying. That's the first time. Yeah, no, that's the first time I felt seen. The first time I felt heard. He got it. He understood. Sometimes... Spite is a powerful motivator, and sometimes you just need it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. This uh, again, look at the title of the show and our podcast. Yeah, but um, it's also a barometer because when I do a video and the response is "No, you nailed it," I was like, "Okay, that." I mean, I feed off of comments go comment on a youtube video i don't know what you're doing right now listeners okay out there in the world 
um, you have no idea how beneficial it is for the mental health of the content creators who are making stuff usually for free for you to enjoy, for you to comment, just saying, hey, this was cool, makes my day every single time I see it, every single time, never gets old, okay? Because you better believe that people who hate my stuff waits no time in putting a <laughs> comment down, okay? And because of how weird YouTube is, it like lingers. It's like, hey, you haven't responded to this comment because I don't want to respond to this comment. Stop putting mm -hmm. it at the top of my notifications. <laughs> um, so go out there and like comment something positive on somebody's YouTube, on somebody's like, like a tweet, retweet it, um, you know, click the heart on TikTok or whatever. Okay. If you like something, don't just watch it share that you like it you have no idea how much that helps um big creators small creators it doesn't matter so and and those comments can inform the way i do things like i made a video about um trans and non-binary identity inside of gaming mm -hmm. and i am not trans okay ah surprise um but so i was like wait a second i should not be in this video and my videos are usually just me talking to the camera. I think that I can speak to this issue because I can research stuff from a book. No, no. So what I did was I reached out to a bunch of trans, non-binary, trans and non-binary people. Sometimes those intersect. Some people don't consider it an intersect, but that's up to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, tell me your story. And it was an interview. And then I cut myself out of the interview. I edited my, my voice. I edited my face and all of that out of it because... It's not about me. Still making that video, I'm super nervous. You know, are people going to think I'm overstepping? Are people going to think I'm stepping on toes in here? But I got a lot of feedback from trans and non-binary people. There's like, thank you for not being in the video. So that informs me, okay, that's the way we should do things. Okay, because I'm, I'm not here to tell other people's stories. I'm here to use my platform to have their stories be told. But that's a different thing. Um, so like those comments and, and when I mess up and people tell me, thank you. Thank you. Like recently, um, I was in a Twitch stream because I have this Twitch stream that I run. And one of the people inside of the Twitch stream was like, hey, can you stop using ableist language with relation to sanity? And... My first thought, I'm going to be honest, my first thought was, that's silly. Are you kidding me right now? You're, you're offended by this? But then I stopped. Because I, I have come to the point where I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Forget what you think. Okay? You don't know what this is like. Sitting up there, you're neurotypical. What do you know? If they're upset by this, there's a reason for it. So maybe, instead of being a jerk... Keep these thoughts in your head. We're going to package it. We're going to think about this later. But comply to be a nice person. It's courtesy. So I was like, okay. So in the moment, I'm like, okay, okay. Um, sorry about that. I will not use that terminology. Moving on. Finish the stream. No big deal. Then I finished the stream and I started thinking about it. You know, I went and Googled. I started researching and I was like, oh my goodness. I should really stop using this terminology. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is terrible. 
like I've been wildly ignorant and just strutting out using this hurtful language and I didn't know anything about it. So I spent the rest of the time and it's, you know, it's a painful process. Sometimes it takes a while to excise things from your own vocabulary, but you do the work and then you don't have to do the work because you just stop saying it. Right. Yep. But I wouldn't have known about that if nobody brought it up. I would have just been spouting nonsense and upsetting people living my own little privileged existence if nobody brought it up. So comment, let me know that type of thing changes. So if you look at some of my older videos, you will see ableist language in some of the older ones, because I didn't know then somebody brought it up to me. And from that point forward, you will not see that ableist language. Now I'm not saying I'm free of ableist language. I'm still trying. Okay. I constantly ableism, sexism, you know, uh, decolonizing my language. There's so many different things that I'm trying to do all at the same time. It's a bit of a juggling act, right? Trying to make sure that I'm a better person. So I'm not saying I'm free of all of those things, but I'm making an effort. And as you see my videos along through time, you will see less and less of that. Now I'm not going to delete that because I said what I said. I'm not trying to hide that it's wrong and I'm not perfect and people should be able to see that. But you should also be able to see my progress. You should see the effort that I'm trying to put in to get better because I think that's helpful. You know, people don't just come out of the, um, come out and just like, Oh, like, look at me. I'm perfect. No, but you know, there's a lot more forgiveness than people think when you're trying to do the work and you show that you're trying to do the work. Okay. That is a wonderful example that I always tell people Google is free. Um, if someone tells you something, uh, I, I think that's exactly the approach you should do. Like, just go with it and then you can look it up. Don't expect people to explain to you why X, Y, or Z it is. Because mm-hmm. Google is free. Uh, I, I, I do have one problem with that. Uh-huh. Google is the reason we have anti-vaxxers. So be careful when you're... Well, <laughs> you have a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Looking stuff up is free. Yeah, like mm-hmm. be mindful of how you're Googling yeah. stuff, okay? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> um, like what I like is you go to an expert whose job it is or who have taken it upon themselves to be an ambassador for it. You don't just ask random BIMPOC people, Hey, is this offensive? Okay. Yeah. But like for me, I present myself as a representative rightly or wrongly. I apologize if I'm doing it wrong. Uh, but I represent myself as a, uh, or present myself as a representative of a lot of mixed race uh, experience. Okay. I am literally a sensitivity consultant. I've I've apparently done that professionally now um, for mixed race representation. So if you come to me, I can at least get you pointed in the right direction. I was like, hey, look up this. (laughs) So I will direct you to what to Google. Like I I tell people to Google blood quantums all the time because they I say blood quantums and they're like time traveling vampires. And I was like, (laughs) I wish I wish it was time traveling vampires. Sadly, it is not. (laughs) Yeah, you know part of me wants to make um an rpg that's a time traveling vampires time traveling mixed race vampires called bullet quantums uh i'm I'm not that's literally the exact thought that went through my mind (laughs) just got finished with this 
like vampire game jam and i just wrote a game just like so quantum is such a good thing for time traveling vampires we gotta it we gotta is. reclaim it we gotta reclaim that okay we do. got trademark tm 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 Mm -hmm. Oh man, we, we should get a lawyer on that. Could, do you know a lawyer? I just <laughs> aren't you a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, I do. He's right here. <laughs> oh wait, that's me. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's see this. Is, this is how you get yourself in the TTRPG space, right there. You come up with gold idea. <laughs> Or you come up with a game called Dracula owes you money based off one scene from Moon Knight. Uh, <laughs> okay. Which is what I did. It's okay. I did that, but for Twilight. And you made vampire, vampire baseball. baseball. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it, go for the gold. <laughs> you play to win the game. Um, <laughs> um, I think... I, I want to transition. I think we're getting towards the end of this, and so I want to do a little bit more like lighthearted, fun questions. Um, okay. So, one thing I want to ask: Do you have a favorite class for D and D? Because you've been playing, like I said, since you could read. Literally, has there anything that's been like something that you just you're going to play, show up to a shop, not knowing exactly do I'm playing this? Done. Dungeon master. Um, no. Um... <laughs> Is that class? It's all class. <laughs> um, no, um, actual class. Blade Singer from Second Edition. Ooh. The Elven Blade Singer was like my favorite. I had a character, Calebon, um, that I played in the '90s because again I'm old, and um, it was an Elven Blade Singer from Second Edition. And the way that they described it, it wasn't even the mechanics because it was basically like fancy fighter but um the mechanics of it were when the elven blade singer is fighting they look like they're dancing but it is a deadly dance and that imagery stuck with me like this idea it's kind of like wuxia you know this kind of mm -hmm. concept of um that chinese martial arts movie where it's so beautiful when they're fighting and i just i mm, I stuck to that um, and it was by far the most fun that I've had. It's so much that I've converted that character into the villain of my campaign. Um, and so he's still out there dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so very good. I think they may have brought it back for fifth edition, but I haven't read what the details are on it. So they, yeah, I'm pretty sure. It sounds familiar, but let me see. Blade I'll Singer, look it up. Right? Yeah, I'm. I'm sure it's. I'm fairly certain it's there, but I think it's just a wizard class. Hmm. I believe so. I'll look it up. Well, Aki, why don't you transition? Yes, yes, yes. Do you play any other uh, anything besides uh, D and D? And if so, what's your favorite? Like your system. Cool. There you go. Cortex. Words. Cortex. Cortex Ooh. is my jam. Um, Cortex Prime is one of the most difficult rule books to read because it is so non-traditional, uh, but very traditional at the same time. Let me explain. Um, so Cortex is not a book in the normal sense where you just like, here are the rules. Cortex is a, here's a bunch of different types of rules for playing a rules light game. 
do you want to play a game that is kind of like D&D, but rules light and easier for new people to learn? Use these two sets of the rules, what they call like modules, and go from there. Do you want to run a game which is not like D&D, where you're running like teenage relationship drama? Well, don't use these rules because they're made for combat. Use these rules made for affiliations to organizations like friend clicks and persuasion. Oh, you're not running that. You're running a Game of Thrones-esque political game where you might get in a sword fight, but you also have to lean on your affiliation to a family. Well, then take this one from this rule set over here and take this one from this rule set over here, put them together. Guess what? You got a new game. That modular nature in Cortex Prime, I love. You make any game you want from matching two or three of these modules together. And you can see it in action and like into the motherlands. They use Cortex mm -hmm. Prime, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, where they have like their affiliations, but they also have stuff that relates to like combat roles. If you like that sort of thing, that flexibility, mm, give that to me all day, every day. I, I remember looking into that for something and you're definitely right. It is a very hard book to read. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, because if you go in reading it like it's, you know, the player's handbook or Pathfinder or Blades in the Dark or whatever, it's not like that, because you'll be like, wait, this section directly contradicts the previous section. I was like, yeah, that's because it's a completely different rule set. And those two don't go together. These two go together, right? <laughs> <laughs> But it takes a little bit to recognize what it is. And they give you examples in the back. And it's almost like easier to go back to front because the examples in the back is like, okay, this game uses these two modules. These how they work together. Or this game uses these other three modules. And so that's how these three things work together. So once you get the hang of, oh, okay, okay, then you go back to the menu and you know what to order. So that's how I recommend reading it. <laughs> Something I'll need to look into for sure. Um, okay, I think for going going back to D and D, this may be a difficult question, but do you have a favorite pre-written adventure, campaign book, adventure path, what have you? Yes, but not because it's good. Um, <laughs> my favorite is the original 1983 red box adventure it's a solo adventure where you go into the maze to fight the wizard bargle it is super basic but it is a game that you can run without a dungeon master and it is literally the first adventure i ever played it's half choose your own adventure half dnd and Alina, who is an NPC in that game, and Bargle, who is the bad guy in that game, will forever be burned into my brain. And I have, I, I bought a new one because I used to have the 1983 original, and I found another 1983 original still in the box with wow. the dice still in their little plastic baggie that I spent a little extra money on because it's a collector's <laughs> item. Um, and uh, I found it again. And it's not great. It's your basic like six room dungeon. You know, there's a rust monster and there are literal rats that you fight in one of the rooms. Okay. But it is a great mechanical introduction to the game. You can play it 
by yourself. And it actually works if you have a small party, because what I what I did was the first time I ever DM'd, I ran that adventure for my friends. And it was like a party of two. And they, it's like a wizard and a, or a fighter and a cleric. And they went in and because it was only two of them and it's this adventure designed for one person, uh, the mechanical balance wasn't thrown off too much. And they, we just had a great time. And that's what hooked us in the game. That's what made us realize we can run this game. And so it'll always have a special place in my heart. Well, I, I haven't even heard of that. Um, but I, I'm fairly... I'm old. <laughs> well, I'm also fairly late into getting into d and I started... Um, actually, I started with Pathfinder. Uh, and then I transitioned to 5e because it was still fairly new at the time. And then, like, I played everything else far in between since then. But... Yeah. <laughs> I am also someone who joined TTRPGs late, but really, but really not. It's not late. I just, I didn't have a childhood with it, but I definitely had a, a whole college experience with it. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so not late, but late enough for me to know that uh, when it comes to D&D, &D, I say 5E or nothing at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, when it comes to Pathfinder, I say 2E or nothing at all. <laughs> Valid, valid. So it's, there yeah. are a lot of old grognards who are like, hey, third edition 3.5 Pathfinder, to which I'm like, no. Um, I, I like, three year <laughs> campaign in Pathfinder one using a third party class, mind you. Um, it's a lot. Level yeah. 17, I had plus 45 to my arcana. <laughs> it's a three year campaign. It was only one fight, but it lasted three years. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not wrong we did have a whole four hour session that was one combat right <laughs> right no i've 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 converted like i converted my my dad and my uncles to to 5e now they swear by it so mm -hmm. um and these are folks that started in 1e okay so <laughs> oh yeah right now i'm pretty i'm pretty i'm pretty into i'm pretty into to 2e uh for, for Pathfinder, I mean, like, like I prefer Pathfinder over D and D, uh, but I think it's just because, bro, Pathfinder is just feats, um, mm -hmm. but like it's all feats, actually. Honestly, it's eighty percent feats, and um, but it's so customizable, and I kind of so like that. Yeah, like I, I like, I really like um, min maxing, and like I'll true. swear by it. Because Nothing I like, yeah, yeah, and I like, and I don't want to make like, like a, a Mary Sue. No, 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 no. I like making a character that's so good at the things that they're good at because it shows that they worked hard for it. And then they're absolute dog shit uh, <laughs> when it comes to like anything else. Like my mm -hmm. bard mm -hmm. isn't. I didn't know intelligence was important or or like not a very good dumb stat in um in 2e so i had intelligence in this one and now my bard's too good she's too smart she's smarter than me which is it, it's like oh no <laughs> i have to be I, she's a math kid i'm not my sister had to teach me fractions again yesterday i hate fractions <laughs> but you know who doesn't my character that i play in a podcast oh god then you have me where i just chose a rogue and took the feet where i could use playing cards as weapons because of the jokes 
and it was great. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there there are a lot of folks. What's what's funny about what you just mentioned is there are a lot of folks who really hate um, min maxers or people who want to do that. You know, they 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 emphasize the role playing as opposed to the mechanics, and I get that. I do, um, but I emphasize. Uh, what's the word fun and i don't <laughs> care how you go to that point uh, as mm-hmm. long as you're not inhibiting the fun of somebody else um so if you want to play D as a tabletop war game where you're just an army of one go for it um and if you're the person who doesn't do voices don't do voices if, if you're the person who doesn't like talking much i have a good friend of mine who loved playing D D with me um character doesn't do anything ever except role in combat he just likes being in the room and playing that's fine i don't push him you know he's having fun he's not taken away from anybody else's fun perfectly fine <laughs> yeah exactly and like I, i'm in the same boat i don't min max just because that's how i do but also like I get it. Like I, I get that play style. I, I very much go for. I have an idea of this either very specific or very niche character, and I go through Pathfinder and find all the things that relate to that. So I guess it's kind of min maxing in one way because, like my 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 playing card rogue, all their feats were about playing cards and playing fifty two card pickup to escape from a grapple. So you know. You know, it Good was great. Time. There's an actual feat for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Aki, do you want to hit us with that last question? Yes. Do you have any advice for aspiring creators? Uh, reach out. Reach out to people. You know, um, but before you do, get to know them if you can. One of the things that has really helped for me, um, and again, I'm not a huge creator or anything. I'd like to be, but uh, <laughs> like, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, I hope I never get big. I've, I've heard those people. I don't understand that. I don't know. There's something inherently ambitious. Um, if nothing else, then I would like to have a platform where I can point to people and it's like, go watch this. <laughs> and people <laughs> do, right? Um, but the thing that's been successful for me is just finding my way into spaces, talking to folks, letting them get to know me, getting to know them and letting that happen organically. You know, um, there are people who follow me on Twitter that are huge accounts, right? I'm not going over to them and saying, Hey, retweet my stuff. Right. Because I, I don't know them like that. They follow me on Twitter. That doesn't mean they know me mm-hmm. and I don't know them. But there are people who will consistently retweet my stuff every time that I post about a new project that I'm working on because they care because they know me. OK, you want that consistent engagement. Some of the times that comes from getting to know people and those people know people and those people know people. And then those people know people. 
that to me has been the most consistent set for growth. The inconsistent growth comes from the almighty algorithm. I don't know why my <laughs> last video did so well. Uh, apparently people, it, it sparked something with folks and six, seven, eight, ten times the amount of people watched it as any of my other stuff. <laughs> um, hopefully that continues. We'll see. But, uh, but that's not, that's not something you can bank on all the time. Um, what I can bank on is the support from people that I know. And so, you know, I would just reach out. People are generally want to help uh, in this community. It's, it's, you know, sometimes people say that artists are a group of people passing around the same $20 bill. <laughs> we are, we are. Oh my God, we are. You know, we'll get in the circle and pass it around. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I think that's very, very solid. I, I, I feel that a lot of the growth for projects that I've been in recently has all been quote unquote word of mouth. Um, like we, like Aki and I, were in this other like Lancer podcast, and we word of mouth we hit a niche or something. Like it's been. We've had six episodes and we're at a thousand listens. First and that's day, just for me. That's our first wild. episode came out a day before. So <laughs> I would like to thank myself and only myself. <laughs> um, before we do like sign offs and all that good, like end of show stuff, I want to ask if you had any questions that you wanted to ask us, you know, if anything that's come up that we haven't actually got to touch on. Um, Oof. I feel like the end of the job interview, you know? <laughs> um, what's your opinion on work-life balance? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate what you're doing, what you're attempting to do. I really hope for the best. Um, and uh, I don't know, my question is like, what like pipe dream okay close your eyes and wish upon a star what do you see doing with this gosh that that again pipe dream but honestly because we, we we live in a community where um people are almost ashamed of what they would love to happen like yes. saying it out loud not only discounts the reality but like other people are like, oh, you think you're that cool, huh? No, no, I'm I'm not in that boat. I'm I'm like, you should you should dream. What is the dream? I want to know. Let me see if I can help you get there. Um, honestly, for me, the reason that I came up with the idea that I pitched it to people um, is this past, especially this past year, I realized just how much I enjoy doing this. Uh, coming from working in the same field for eight years at this point as a pharmacy technician and just kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this forever or move even further into this. Um, it's something that I just, I want to, it 
I want to do podcasting full time. It's I enjoy doing this. I enjoy making this content with people. I want to be like rivals of Waterdeep or even like into the motherlands. That kind of level of production is what I'm aiming for. I don't know if I love it. or when I'll get there, but that's what I want. I love it. Love it. Oh, well, I am, as a career-wise, I am in the game design field. So I, I chose this um, to, to, one, disappoint my parents. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and two, uh, because I like media and I like this, this stuff. I, I, I'm really big on representation. That's something I noticed a lot in school. Or and just growing up, do you know the cop out of just especially this happened in a lot of DC animated shows, but when they drew their characters' eyes, it looked like mine. But then I find out that like you know how I was destroyed when I found out Bruce Wayne was not Chinese. I was fu- I was fucking livid. I for like the first <laughs> ten to f- ten years of my life, I thought that that was a Chinese man. And I was like, you're so cool. You're a bad father, but you're so cool. And um, no, 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 no. It turns out it's just a white guy. So now it's, now it's like lukewarm. But I just, if, if I could have it all, I guess, it would be, it would be to, to be able to pay my friends to make the shit that they want to make. But I can also just make sure that I get the rep, like, in there. The, the, mm-hmm. That's it. That's really just it. I just want the rep. I would like to pay my friends eventually. Uh, <laughs> Dusty can can attest. Yes. That same. when I so when I same. when I when I um GM the number one thing I make sure I do is I feed you guys. This is so, true. So good. So yeah, that's really it. That's all I want to do. I think. Oh, um, pay my friends and feed them. <laughs> when, when I got to the point where I could pay my Twitch mod, I I. Felt ten feet tall. <laughs> Just like, hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's far too little for the amount of work that you do, but it's what I can show for my appreciation. <laughs> yeah, and that—that's definitely what I want this to do. This it's why I'm like trying to help this a lot myself because I don't want to ask too much of people to join this community. Because when I put out the first call for all season stories, I very specifically said at the moment it's unpaid. Because it's just something that I literally cannot do. I'm not even mm-hmm. getting paid for this myself. Um, but that that would be the goal to have these shows and like and also well season stories itself is and will always be all Bimpok creators, all Bimpok players, all Bimpok storytellers. Because that's what I want. I want to see more of this story. I want like like I want this to be the show that people are talking about and not like and not have to be I'm like the I don't want to say it like this to call out people but I don't want to be like the token player at the table mm-hmm. I want the token player to be occasional like a, a person a white guest but you know that that's my goals I want this to be a big thing where it's all the creators that don't normally get to be this big including myself hey that's how you do it i love i love that i love creators who have a certain level of ambition i don't don't see it as a negative i see it as a positive because that's that's what's going to keep pushing you 
when you know it it, it gets a little tiring <laughs> you know um and and somebody's Remember, gonna, spite spite, spite exactly. fuels look here's the thing somebody's gonna get to that point might as well be you like mm-hmm. you know at least toss your hat to the ring the worst that can happen is say say no uh and if the universe says no then so be it you just move on but like for me part of the reason why i started my youtube channel is like wow I, you know i like bearded white guys as much as the next guy okay I, I got no problem with bearded white guys right it's just that um when there's only bearded white guys dispensing D advice online or talking about these topics or talking about rpgs you get to think that maybe only bearded white guys are playing these games i wanted to create a youtube channel with my face on it not because i want people to recognize me because i want people to look and see hey it's a clean shaven asian guy <laughs> it's a it's a little different, right? Um, part of that's because I can't grow a beard. Part of it's because of representation. So, <laughs> you know, somebody's got going to be there. Somebody's going to fill that role. Might as well be you. Okay? And if it's not you, no harm. So I'm, I'm, I, I want BIMPOC creators to have that drive, to have that ambition, because one of us is going to do it. And when it happens, I'm going to be either waving my hands or, or cheering along. So. And I think with that, this is a good point to um, exit the conversation. Uh, uh, Kimchi, where can people find your work again if people forgot? For some reason, <laughs> look, it's been a long conversation. I get if you <laughs> forgot. Um, you can find me at YouTube primarily, YouTube.com/legalkimchi, where I do video essays and deep dives into TTRPG topics, social issues. So if you like overthinking mechanics or any concepts inside of the TTRPG world, and you want that different point of view, um, check out the videos. If you like it, subscribe, comment, share it around. Let's beat the algorithm which keeps trying to force feed us negativity by feeding it positivity it's the only way we're going to change it uh you can also find me on twitter at legal kimchi uh or on twitch where every tuesday and saturday night at 9 30 central standard time i have people from the ttrpg community come on and we discuss topics uh, it's a wide-ranging conversation uh very intimate um wonderful talks that we have to this point it's been entirely like it's it i don't think i've ever had a cishet white male on my (laughs) channel yet um that's not intentional i'm not trying to exclude them it's just again this is a diverse space and if your space is diverse take a second to think about that um but uh you can find me at twitch.tv slash legal kimchi um and uh yeah come check out some conversations Please go check it out. I have been following the videos recently, but I've been going back and watching them, and they're very well done and uh, very good Good to listen to while setting up deliveries in a pharmacy for five hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this has been just a wonderful joy of a conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. 
Um, and that has been it for Here's Your Diversity. Uh, if you want to see any other episodes, you can just go back in the pod feed. I'll have a special banner. I'll just say, Here's Your Diversity. Uh, but that's going to be it for now. Um, I've been Dusty. That's been Naki over there in Canada. Um, yeah, I don't know why Canada. I said it like that. No, no, in Canada, please. I'm not American. <laughs> don't loop me into your things. <laughs> Until and next yep. time. Till next time, stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>